The Executioners is a podcast about actually getting shit done. In this episode of The Executioners, we speak with Mark Fleury, who is the founder of JBoss, which was acquired by Red Hat uh, for a nice chunk of change. Uh, He's been a big leader in the open source movement, holds a PhD in physics, very French guy, nice guy, um, comes from a super diverse background of physics to math to philosophy, uh, and has some significant experience in blockchain as well, uh, and is increasingly I think enthused by the opportunity and kind of grassroots movement that it represents. Uh, I super enjoyed this discussion and just the you know multidisciplinary discussion of many different topics to uh, come to understand some of Mark's thinking and some of the you know really deep spiritual values that he holds. Um, I think it's a pleasure to listen to. So once we get through this legal shit, uh, we'll get started. Thanks. Alexander Bloom is the CEO of Atomic Capital. All opinions expressed by Alex or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Atomic Capital. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Alex as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. We're here today with Mark Fleury, the creator of JBoss and an advocate for open source um, initiatives in general. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. I think rather than me read off like your Wikipedia page, do you want to maybe just introduce yourself and some of your background? Sure. Um, I was born in Paris, France, uh, half Spanish, half French, grew up in Madrid and Paris. Did a PhD in physics, um, came to the United States in the early 90s to do uh, work at MIT in uh, physics. Left academia, went to work for in Silicon Valley. Um, was fascinated by uh, open source development. One of the early, jo- I was one of the early Java evangelists. Uh, put the two together and pioneered a model of. Uh, professional open source, sort of rewarding open source developer, and we operated in the middleware layers, wrote a bunch of standards in what became basically the infrastructure for the internet, uh, the middleware infrastructure. Sold that company in 2006, JBoss, to Red Hat, which has now been acquired by IBM. Uh, so retired early uh, and young and went back to physics, uh, music, and arts. Um, and lately, uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, getting interested in that. You know, the intention of uh, bringing people like you onto the show is to essentially learn from them and take, you know, people that have been successful and done things that have not been done before and trying to draw principles from that into understanding how that can be applied to blockchain where there's a lot of talk and hype and not a lot of execution. And so I guess uh, to initiate that or understand or learn from you, kind of where did uh, your roots of kind of the work you've done with JBoss and other kind of initiatives you've led, what kind of was the, I guess, personal roots of where that came from? When I was at uh, MIT, I would go to the uh, email uh, lab, uh, the email room, and there were the uh, WWW guys, uh, meaning the guys writing the standard for the early internet. And I was doing laser physics at the time, and all I remember was the energy. Uh, that they had and they were so excited and it's the way they sounded um, about what they talked about and this was 93 94 so very early even right before the the world wide web sort of uh, popped onto the scene and all i remember was that energy and i knew i wanted to be there Um, the second strand 
was uh, was open source. Uh, again, the same kind of excitement about what was going on. I could see the passion in the developers, and all I knew is I wanted to to join that. And there was a very strong ethos of um, Stallman with the Free Software Foundation, which gave us Linux. And again, the passion there impressed me. Uh, Hacking Bay and the anarchist movement, which inspired so many of the hackers, uh, temporary autonomous zone concepts, um, influenced a lot of the early hackers. But again, it was really this this energy that that I wanted to to participate in, and so I did. Uh, and I was back then. I was at Sun, and I was trying to break through their elite ranks of developers because I was participating on the standards and whatnot. But I didn't really have a, a hacker background. I was a physicist by training. So they wouldn't let me. Uh, they wouldn't let me join the, the the developer ranks. So I basically started my own open source group in Java, and that was not done at the time because Java was really a for-pay kind of uh, thing. Most of the hackers in Linux were C so Java was you know outside that. Um, but once we were done with it, you know, even Microsoft had embraced open source, and uh, and it had become mainstream so you know participate in that movement but to your point it was really putting uh, sort of two things together that did not naturally look like they would go together like really high-end for pay corporate software with sort of this hippie open source anarchist community approach to development and uh, and and that was it it strikes me as un- unique or unusual that you know when you're talking about you saw these people creating www dots uh, standards and that the energy is what pulled you in and it wasn't so much, oh, I saw this business opportunity or I saw that there was a gap in middleware software, um, but really more of a intuitive or a kind of emotional draw to where you were deciding to spend your time. Um, I feel like sometimes with software, we lose the human side of things or the sense that the technical things support humans that are going to use this. And I guess I wondered kind of just broadly how you understand sort of you know, reconciling those two different kind of worlds. Right. It's funny. The first time I, I decided to do open source development, I told my wife, um, and uh, she was pregnant with our first child. And I say, Nat, I've decided to do open source software. And she goes, what's that? And I tell her, well, I'm going to write software for free and distribute it. And she looks at me and she earnestly said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You know, why would you give away your work for free? And I go, ah, you don't get it. And eventually she did get it because money started coming in yeah. and she helped a lot. Um, but I think, you know, software in general is one of those few fields where you still have a lot of the uh, ideals of, uh, of even the 60s counter-revolution, the hippies. Um, even Stallman's new comes from the Discordia uh, religion, which is a bit of a hermetic reference, an occult reference, but the GNU itself, um, the animal appears in that, in that Bible of a joke. Um, and and yet with that occult hippie current, you still have a lot of money coming in in software. And marrying that energy and balancing that energy is a difficult thing. And I think in crypto, that's exactly what drew me drew me back. Because actually, I did I was participating with uh, Gavin Andres. I helped Gavin Andresen in 2011. He asked me some things about how do we make Bitcoin open source, and helped a little bit with that. But I was busy with the real markets and whatnot. But came back, and what drew me back was again this this mix of extreme greed and extreme idealism, uh, and you have either a cultish approach of people doing ritual down in Puerto Rico, 
uh, or you know Russians running around crazed about the money and whatnot, and 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 that in itself is interesting. Uh, I find it very early in that, to your point, merging of these two energies. But once you merge this idealism and and the need to make money, I don't consider money evil per se. Uh, au contraire, I consider it something that enables communities. Um, but once you marry these two energies and you find a balance between these two extremes, I think that's where real magic can, can happen. And I definitely see that in crypto and want to see that balance in crypto. No matter who you are, where you are, uh, you always operate with a psychological operating system in your head. There is no other way for humans to operate. That's how we work. That's how our brains work. For example, one of the deepest magical hacks of modern history past 3,000 years is money. Uh, if you think about what happened in crypto, we decide to call a database entry because I'm a technologist. I first see the, the tech. And from a tech standpoint, it's a really bad database. Uh, but we decided to call that entry instead of a database record, A2, we called it uh, you know, with coordinates, we say, it's money. And all of a sudden, everybody's paying attention. You know, and so our operating system says, you have to work for money. Uh, you have to work to eat. And Karl Marx, uh, 100 years ago, uh, wrote, um, what happens when the machines do all the work? Which is the point we're reaching now. He called that third stage abundance, right? And we're reaching abundance with a psychological framework of scarcity we call capitalism. And it's helpful when there's scarcity because we want to reward those who create. I definitely participated heavily in the equity rewards of my own company. So did the developers who worked with me. Uh, but we're trying, we're entering an age of abundance with a psychological mindset and everything operating about us in the framework of scarcity. And so there's a fundamental mismatch, an impedance mismatch, we say in, in physics, that it's just, you know, we're, we're seeing that stress. Um, and so to your point, I think crypto really stresses those, those, stresses those points by, by going, okay, we're, we have this abundance, we can create money just like the banks do. It's not the Fed that creates the money, by the way. That's a mi common misconception in crypto. It's the commercial banks that create debt, which becomes money. Then the banks go and settle overnight repo if they don't have the Basel required uh, uh, reserves, and then the Fed patches that if they don't have it. Point being, we're, we, we are playing with you know a magical money construct that uh, can address abundance, uh, even though we don't have that psychological makeup right now, and that does create a lot of out-of-balance stress going on. Yeah. So what does it take to change that psychology? Psychology is an interesting thing. Uh, I think, uh, first of all, language. Uh, to your point, I think a lot of what we hear on Telegram, uh, what we hear on Twitter, uh, I am shocked by the insularity of our thinking in the crypto world. And I think there's about 93% bullshit that we repeat to ourselves. But 
if you follow Chomsky uh, on language or even Bernays on propaganda, once you have a word and you repeat that word, uh, you start thinking in different categories. And so I think we're witnessing right now something that I consider very positive, which is a nucleus, uh, again, that energy I talk about that I find so attractive, uh, the law of attraction of energy in a way. You have a nucleus of people that are very high on that crack, so to speak. And it's good because they're, they're passionate. I, I want to be here because of that. I want to help now that I'm older and perhaps more balanced. Um, and, and, but they tend to break off a little bit. And what I notice is, you know, when I go and talk to, uh, let's say, politicians in Washington, because I'm connected to, to, to Washington on, on legislation, you know, you need to have adopt their language for their psycho psychology to go like, yeah, that makes sense. Today, if you say the word Bitcoin, uh, you get this reaction that it's dirty. You know, it's like, oof, that's some dark magic you're doing. It's, yeah, you know, and, and I get that a lot. Even though I've been spending a, a year educating legislators, you know, ironically, uh, Washington gets it. Security tokens, I mean. Um, Wall Street definitely gets it. You know, Silicon Valley, not so much. They think it's about the tech. Uh, it's not. And I really think it's about that psychology. And the way you get to psychology and, and changing psychology is first to language, repetition of language. And it has to sound true. If it doesn't resonate with the way people think, you're, you're, you're preaching in the desert, so to speak. And so I think we need these domain-specific languages to speak Chomsky a little bit. And what that means is, okay, so you have this blockchain, that's great. How do you apply that to IoT? Okay. And you read IOTA, and IOTA is a great coin, and, but it's a, it's a trading coin. It's a, it's a speculative coin. It's not really a security token aimed at real smart city efforts. And, uh, well, start talking the language of smart cities and how smart cities go about implementing their pilots and, and where does blockchain help? Do I need a blockchain to record all the data from my sewers? Probably not. Do I need an open blockchain to do the records of ownership and who uses what in the supply chain? Possible, but it's not the central point. The central point is if I can start talking to cities like City of Atlanta that put out a 200 million RFP about, hey, I know we can go and market this with the right broker dealer because we have the right audience and we will have mapped to their language. Right. At that point, you will start to see the energies and law of attraction kick in. It's, it's about language, uh, uh, domain specific language, or even take REITs. The REITs guys get it. Okay. A real estate token makes a lot of sense, right? Cause now I can slice and dice that thing. I can go and follow new liquidity pools and race in new markets. And that's very interesting. So the read guys get the fundamentals of it and they have mapped to their own language. Um, that process of psychology can take a generation, uh, several generations. For example, in science, it can take a generation for scientists to evolve their way of thinking. Or it can happen overnight. You never know. But group memes are very interesting things. Uh, and I think we're win witnessing a very interesting one right now in crypto. So you're evoking a few different questions to me. I mean, I'll 
the two that come to mind. One is, I mean, you're talking about certain psychological shifts can happen really rapidly and others can take multi-generational kind of efforts. What mediates uh, which of those? Obviously, for the things I believe in, I prefer that it happens overnight. So what dictates kind of the duration of how long that shift takes to occur? And then you also were talking about different kind of community-specific languages. And sometimes I think of uh, money, which is ultimately numbers in a certain way, uh, as the universal language that could span across different communities. And to me, that's uh, like I think about the book Sapiens and the way to communicate ideas in a big way is potentially through this language of economics or money that everyone can understand uh, and doesn't get limited to a small kind of echo pool of the same people talking that nobody else understands. And so just two thoughts that come to mind from what you're saying. Possible. You know, I think... Uh... I never considered money uh, uh, an evil like some people do. I think it definitely helps with with some communities, and you know, like love or music certainly seems to be trans uh, language and and trans races and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Uh, as to the timeline, um, you know, it's a good question. I uh, I have no idea, honestly. Uh, I've seen we're dealing with group memes here. We're dealing with with cultural memes, um, money being the, the, the biggest one possibly in the human psyche or one of the biggest ones in the human psyche. And uh, I think the presence of the internet uh, messaging, uh, the speed of communication has, has increased so much in the past 10 years um, that we're seeing the chaotic formation of multiple liquid realities for people. And, and Hakim Bey talked about that in the sense of uh, temporary autonomous zones. Just to wrap up on that, on that question and, and the importance of, of evolving group memes, I don't know if the name Van Var Bush rings a bell. Uh, Van Var Bush was the head of research at MIT. That's not George's relative. No, well, uh, <laughs> No comment. Um, Van Var Bush ran MIT research in 1945, and so was the guy who ran Los Alamos and 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 disco helped discover the radar and all that tech we developed during the war days. And he penned a very uh, uh, illuminated paper called "As We May Think," and he published it in the Atlantic, 1945. Look it up. It's called "As We May Think," uh, the Atlantic, 1945. Van Varbush. And in there, he says, oh, that's interesting. Uh, the scientists have given you the power of the gods. We can control the atom and, and, and blow up stuff. And what do you do with it? You go and kill the other monkey. Uh, that's great, but that means your psychology has not evolved. And he talks about pharaohs, Egypt, all the way down to modern mysticism. I mean, this is a MIT head of research just going straight up mysticism and uh and he says we're gonna die we're just gonna die if we don't evolve and so the way we're gonna evolve is i'm gonna enchant and evoke this thing i'm gonna call the meme exchange true story uh he calls it the memex and it's basically the internet and in 1945 this dude imagines the internet goes on to fund DARPA and everything that gave us the the original protocols of tcp and etc so this is a guy that 40 years before it happened, you know, gets the detail of the implementation wrong because he thinks we're going to use microfilm 
to to exchange our our our, our data and, and on the web. But he basically has the vision of the web, even though he gets the implementation wrong. And from a strict magical standpoint, enchants long and reads short wrong, but enchants right long and explicitly does it so that consciously, willfully does it so that we can evolve our collective psychology, invokes earth, Isis, uh, a kind of uh, mysticism. Uh, so that we have earth memes emerging, green meme, we know this as the green movement today, all of that aided by a greater speed of communication via internet uh, exchange of memes. And so, to some degree, we're all playing in that pool, and I view blockchain as the natural progression of this, because we now have a record that's transnational, transcorporation, nobody owns it, that's really what interests me in blockchain, the fact that nobody owns anything behind it's a completely open source runtime that's happening even though in practice it's concentrated pools of miners by design the open source nature mean nobody owns it and that's very interesting uh, and and i consider this new development of blockchain basically the application of open uh, excuse me uh, internet open source kind of van var bush approach to data sharing and ownership uh, in a modern uh, uh, jacket and i find that uh, uh, rather reassuring almost we're not completely lost there it's a natural evolution of collective psyche transition to the world of abundance uh, and and rapid experimentation and evolution of of idea even though 90 percent of them will die it doesn't matter that's what it's for ah uh, you're making me think so many things um i think that the phenomenon you're describing where there's technological tools that far outstrip our ability to manage them or psychologically understand what they could be. And so instead we're killing each other instead of creating like perpetual energy for the planet uh, is a common theme. And it seems like with blockchain that um, that same sort of almost nuclear power for the exchange of value is uh, what's arising in a certain sense. In the West, in the US, uh, the industry tells the banks, I need $10 billion today. The banks say yay, nay, based on their capacity to repay. They look at their reserves to comply with their Basel II, Basel III regulation. If they don't have the money, they go to the overnight repo market. If that breaks down, they go to the Fed. The Fed never says no. So the causality of monetary creation is reverse compared to what we're taught in school. We're taught that you have this fractional reserve banking, and that whatever money we put in the bank gets multiplied by 12, and that's the debt, that's, that's, that's Hogwarts. No, it just doesn't work that way. The way it works is reverse. First, we act the distributed, decentralized. It's decentralized. People who talk about the Fed creating money have no idea what they're talking about. Shut up already. Uh, the decentralized banking system establishes the monetary need and three layers deep on the power money it's actually its actual name the fed always settles the accounts but the fed is never the throttler of the economic activity the economic activity it regulates itself as opposed to say the marxist gospel plan in russia which was completely dubbed down um, in europe it's the same thing except we don't go so much through decentralized banking to industry we go rather through the government so it's government debt but I'm saying all this to describe the dollar and the euro as a token. Uh, 
Those are tokens that are worth zero at their birth. They're created by the banking system. The banks don't have the money they lend. That's how it works. They create the money they lend. They put it out. So it's a token that's worth zero at its birth. But what happens? It's actually a security token. It's an asset-backed token. In the West, in modern monetary capitalism, or as we can call it state capitalism, monetary capitalism, the token emitted is always backed by debt. It has to repay itself one over time. So it's an asset-backed token. And it becomes the stable coin. Again, as an example of using the language maybe we understand in crypto. It becomes a stable coin known as the dollar and the euro once we have created its value. You've also been talking about, um, like you're talking about how a lot of the creation of Bitcoin had to do with really criminal uses of money. Uh, you're also mentioning Basel regulation. Uh, or you're also even talking about uh, the concept of ownership before. It strikes me that those are all in the frame of what you're talking about, psychologically, how we're thinking about things. It's still things that are framed in the way of a capitalist system. Not that it's great for criminals to be buying child pornography on the dark web, but um, I think you were saying it was stressing the convergence between sort of capitalist systems and new future kinds of systems. But literally, like I was thinking about it, like literally stressing it, like it's testing its uh, fidelity in a certain sense. Um, and I just wonder if we're moving beyond capitalism and the language and frameworks of that system, is there something that you see coming after that? Or how do you imagine this uh, evolving from there? If you look at what's going on right now from a society standpoint, everybody's worried about AI and automation and the age of abundance. And so we're, if I'm an alien, and I am an alien, a pharaonic <laughs> alien, and I come and I look at this pyramid, and 2,000 years ago, you guys were building pyramids, and I go, this is good. How do you do that with slaves that you kill? Eh, you can do better. Uh, come back 2,000 years later, we're building all these pyramids, and we're doing it with this symbol we call money. Oh, so interesting. <laughs> to what end? Build pyramids, photo. Okay, that's great. Huh. Are you killing each other? Well, <laughs> maybe. Only some. You know, because we're reaching abundance, and we're reaching abundance walking backwards, going like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, abundance. Well, what's wrong with you? Now, let me tell you, no animal ever died next to a water source with food. Okay, so whatever bullshit construct we have in our minds to share that resource. Again, going back to Marx, and I'm not talking communism, but truly the age of abundance a la Marx. If the machines do all the work, who eats? Who watches the TV shows? The machines? Who cares? It's about the humans here. Right, so I'm not a negative like Elon, we're all going to die with AI. No, of course we're not. It may take a revolution to change that psychology because capitalism is going to hang on, right? But that stress is coming. When you talk about this analogy of Egyptians using uh, slaves to build pyramids, and then maybe now we're in a place where we're using money to build pyramids in a slightly less violent way, is your point to say that we need to find better ways to incentivize the creation of pyramids or create things other than pyramids? Great question. Um, I'm a physicist. Since Los Alamos 1937, we know that the sun explodes, uh, quantum mechanics. Uh, and so not to go like big, big, big picture, 
But as of abstract enough, so <laughs> as of off, as a thought, uh, you can offer that uh, any star system that gives birth to a sentient being uh, eventually destroys that sentient being. So your birth star becomes your death star, to use a bad analogy. And so, at a very abstract philosophical level, the point of any sentient being. Uh, well, unless you really want to die, which is, you know, another mystical route. Uh, but if you want to stay engaged, then you need to find enough technology to avoid the explosion of the sun. Uh, that means propulsion, uh, technology up to Dyson sphere. I don't know if you're familiar with that, which is how do you control all the energy of the sun? Uh, if you think about it, we're just a tiny dot about the sun. In fact, I read the other day that just 1.2% of, uh, of, uh, of the uh, North African desert, I forget the name, uh, yeah, just a tiny surface covered in solar panels would power the whole earth, right? So we, our energetic needs compared to what the sun is putting out, you know, is nothing. So... From as a thought, I would offer that any sentient being that discovers natural philosophy, usually through mystical means, actually, in fact, that has been our example since the Egyptians and the pharaohs, um, eventually reaches the conclusion that its most pressing need for survival is the development of technology and the wisdom, you made that remark earlier, and that's well observed, to yield that power. Because if we're just going to use it to trash the planet and kill the other monkeys, guess what? You're not going to get that power, right? You need to evolve collectively to, to be able to truly take control of your, of your fate. And so pyramids were a great example of, hey, look at us. We can do this stuff. And, and those are very interesting constructs. You know, I view what's going on today in the same. We're in the midst of technological acquisition at an accelerated rate. Uh, we're still missing some physics. I personally work on those physics, which is the coupling with the fabric of space in quantum mechanics. We think we observe actually a form of ether, a relativistic ether, meaning that supports the speed of light and whatnot, but there is a fabric of space. There is something in which actually forms, thought forms, not just carbon-based, but actual deformations here, would have gravitic input, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so to answer your question in two seconds, I absolutely think that, you know, the technological acquisition uh, that's going on right now is the most interesting thing. How do we finance it is the next natural question. Central, uh, federal with distributed banking is a very effective way to go about it today, hence our riches now. We will find a way out of that collective meme once we have abundance arguably today, and yet we live in misery or psychological misery for the most part because we have the stress of nine to five and jobs and da-da-da-da-da-da when we should just enjoy, create art, science, technology, music, babies, whatever you want to <laughs> do, uh, but just enough with the stress and the fear and the, you know, we're programming by fear way too much. But I do put a lot of attention on, on technology acquisition and how do we enable it. And I think what's going on in crypto right now, almost at a mundane level, you know, uh, is, I don't want to say misguided, uh, but I actually don't think it's about the tech. I don't need another crappy database 
you know, uh, we need financial applications. We need security tokens to enable new forms of financing. I talked about smart cities infrastructure. I think we can do something with large 200 million, 300 million raises, SPVs for, you know, whatever city wants to do that across the globe, you know, and we're in contact with many cities that think about it but don't know how to finance it. Right? So this is about the finance, not necessarily about the tech. Uh, I've seen it in, in the native tribes. I work with the native tribes of Alaska where they were talking about building geothermal uh, power plants because they don't have much resources. It's a huge continent. They can't put power lines, but they have a really warm ground and a really cold top. Uh, so it's a great geothermal ground. You know, how do we go and finance that? I, I worked on that for a little bit and it's something I, I may still want to do in the near future. Uh, and so, you know, technological acquisition in the service of mankind and, and, and Earth survival, uh, as every other sentient being across the universe has done before us. Every second that passes, a star explodes in the sky. We observe them. In fact, numerically, there's about three or four photons that right now are reaching your eye from a dead star that died probably 100 million years ago. Okay, so there's photons reaching us right now that we don't perceive consciously, but that come from dying stars. Every sentient being around that dying star died, because define hell, in our case, it's going to be a red giant. Our sun is going to become a red giant. It's gonna, we, we will have flames right here in about 4 billion years. So nobody cares, you know. But I plan to live that long. I don't that's know. right. But, you know, it's still, it's still a philosophical truth. Um, and so the ones that, you know, remain silent is because they didn't die. And why didn't die? Because they found enough tech to, to avoid that. So it's a little bit 100,000 feet, but, but it's, 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 I think, uh, a true will throughout, a true force throughout, throughout our history. Two final questions. One is, when you're talking about technological acquisition, and you're talking about like there's a small part of the African desert that could harness enough power with solar panels to power the entire planet, it strikes me that if we could really do that right now, we would just burn up the entire planet or like explode. Uh, like we don't know how to harness that energy. We don't have the wisdom to use the technology that far outstrips our ability to manage it. I wonder when you talk about technological acquisition, if there are sort of wisdom technologies in a certain sense or technologies for managing ourselves that are part of what you're what's essential in kind of moving forward. There's a French uh, philosopher that said, science sans conscience n'est que ruine de l'âme. And let me translate that. It means science without conscience. It just ruins the soul. Um, and historically, you know, we have developed technology. Even if you go to 2001 Space Odyssey, remember the monkeys with the black monolith? their pyramid. What do they do? They find tech. They find a bone. And what do they do with a the bone? They crush the skull of the other monkey. I think we cannot avoid evolutionary dictate of whatever tech uh, and whatever psychology we're trapped in, in the case of those monkeys, just survival and killing the other monkey for female and, and, and food and resources. Uh, you can't avoid that. But as you evolve, you start to shed that even though it never goes away as a psychological construct, we still have deep reptilian impulses in us. Um, I think there is an interplay between acquisition of tech and the wisdom to yield it. Um, you know, right now, when I go to 
crypto conferences, that's a little bit all over the place. It's manifesting left and right. It's either extreme community, extreme greed. I think that balance we talked about earlier will manifest over time. The speed at which it manifests is a product of the speed of communication and how fast can we absorb information. You know, I would love to see the end of work. This nine to five busy work with people stressing about survival as we reach abundance is nonsense. Yeah, Enough like, with like that. labor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about universal basic income, talk about basic attention token, whatever you want. As humans, we don't need to work that, or a large part of the population does not need to be locked up in offices, uh, leaving their children in, 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 you know, unattended, uh, for, 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 for busy work. Let me put it this way. Uh, and so can we turn attention to more creative tasks using science, technology, arts, religion, whatever you want, but expressing sort of, if you talk about the Maslow hierarchy of needs, you know, if you're familiar with it, the basic layers are survival, shelter, food, uh, com uh, community, uh, love, self-love, and then self-actualization, right? The more people we can collectively move up that pyramid, to the top of that pyramid uh, and truncate that top visually, if you would, um, the, the better we would be. And I'm sure that's what's going to happen uh, fairly soon. Yeah. It strikes me that even thinking of it as a pyramid, it innately makes you think like the only little bit could be at the top. And maybe it's even thinking of the structure as not a pyramid at all, but more of a set of levels a or floors, a pillar. Perhaps, perhaps. A good question. You know, in, in my, uh, my experience, not everybody wants to work on music. Not everybody can write software. Not everybody can do mathematics. But not everybody needs to. In fact, the history of development has been that a few illuminated souls have always sort of led the way in terms of, of, uh, of uh, yeah, value creation. But I think increasingly uh, what we see on the Internet is a mass evolution, a mass consciousness shift in a lot of people, and those that are called to that path naturally go to it and evolve. So whether it's a pillar or a pyramid or both, uh, it's a good one. Thank you for that image. The last thing I would just ask is, um, speaking very abstractly about you know, the nature of the sun to burn us all, and we have to find ways to uh, acquire technology a different way, for where, in a more literal, concrete way, for where blockchain is today, where the industry is, and with what's possible, how do we take the next step? Or if I'm an entrepreneur or somebody that's interested in this industry or community, where should I be directing my efforts? So I think the ICO phenomenon uh, uh, proved that we can go and create technology in, in, in pockets and self-create monetary value, not yet economic value, but we can emit our own tokens and go fund whatever BS we want. And I think that's very interesting. Problem is, of course, the first thing we did with it is scams, because money. And so, <laughs> yeah, well, there it is. And so, do we kill the, the, the goose that lays the golden egg with the ICO of, hey, we can create money just like the banking system does. And what do we do with it? We do parties and coke and da-da-da-da-da-da and boat party. Well, that's great, son, and have fun. But uh, what else? Well, there's hookers also. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Probably, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'll offer this just to finish because it's an interesting math problem, and I think it's going to plague a little bit the securities industry or security tokens industry. 
is the interesting, almost mystical thing that if you promise no cash flow in Bitcoin or Ethereum, then your cash flow input is zero. And ironically, your valuation can be infinite. Uh, <laughs> so zero maps to infinity because we have no way of calculating the true intrinsic value of that instrument. And so we only depend on psychology. So we look at each other and who's the Russian putting all the money for the hookers and the coke. And there's our, our, our cash flow on board to the chain. And so we come up with a psychological valuation that from zero creates infinity. However, if you put a real estate instrument through the pipe let's say you put a REIT well anyone with a spreadsheet can calculate the future future cash flows from that you do your financial discounted cash flow analysis per your your accounting and and you arrive at a net present value that 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 that's the value of your token so one value in the token creates one value in the token almost tautologically so the irony is zero equals infinite but one equals one you following me all right. And so I think in security is the way to recreate that magic a little bit because we're going to need some of that if we want those those pockets of monetary creation to really explode is to have mix a mix of cash flows, you know, uh, some speculative cash flows, some boring debt type cash flows. And and I think the security tokens framework will enable that in, in the near future when you said earlier where we can mix and match several types of tokens, then the true magic can can really happen in, in valuations. It's like we need like 0.5 equals half infinity. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, exactly. I actually have a tattoo on my ribs on one side is zero on the other side is an infinity symbol. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it just showed it to me. That's very interesting. Yeah, I was having dinner with somebody very close to the SEC yesterday in Davos. And uh, she was saying, we have too many words floating around. Again, you asked earlier, how do we change psychology? I remember open source. You know, we were talking about free software and it was Stallman and Hakim Bay and all these guys. And it was very anarchist and extremist and, and, and people were almost turned off by it. You know, just like today, ICO or crypto is a dirty word. Um, and all of a sudden, a bunch of marketeers got together and said, let's call it open source. What is open source? Well, it's free software, but it sounds better and, you know, with bunnies and Disney. <laughs> and you're like, okay, it's safe, right? And so that, that began the explosion of open source development. Even Linux, even the free software movement, you know, arguably today the free software movement won against even Microsoft and Bill Gates who was ideologically opposed to Stallman back in those days uh, because all of the internet runs on, on free software and open source. Um, I think the same thing, and, and she mentioned yesterday, there, there's too many words trying to describe the security. Is it asset back? Is it STO? Is it this and that? Who cares? Just come up with one word where we can have all the marketing behind that one word. Just pick one, for God's sakes. And it has to sound good, and it has to flow of the tongue, and it's more of a marketing language hack thing. It's a neuro-linguistic programming thing. And once you have that, then everybody can align around what is it. And to your point, I think I think the the fact that it's a the word securities doesn't bother me. In fact, I kind of like it because it does say, hey, it's going to be regulated. And that's the whole point. 
right? When I hear people say, uh, hey, we want the anonymity of the blockchain because we don't want it now. We want whitelist. We want the opposite of what blockchain stood for in the criminal layers, right? We want just the liquidity of those markets, the speed of execution, just the, the thousand exchanges, let the thousand flowers bloom in, in terms of you know, the new companies that come, the new tokens that come, let the ICO embrace the ICO movement. Everybody reads it negative. Uh, and maybe just in conclusion, I'll draw your attention to, I think it was the Bitfinex study about three months ago where they looked at all the treasury of the ICOs. I don't know if you saw that. It was, uh, it was very interesting. Um, basically, they showed we raised $6 billion. They just covered $6 billion of the raise of ICOs in 2018. And they showed that uh, pretty much all of those $6 billion, three of which went to EOS, by the way, something like that, where um, treasury in treasury were liquefied, to, where, where went to fiat, meaning... Those ICOs actually sit on dollars and euros and whatever the local currencies. So they, everybody dumped their crypto by and large. They stay, sit on a bit, but the actual nominal value raised is the nominal value you have in fiat. So first conclusion, well, those ICOs did great and the investors lost. Well, hold on, because what happens on the investor side is that, well, now it's a little different since it went from 6,000 where it was at when the, the study went out and 3,000 Bitcoin where it's at right now at the time of this recording. But if you look at who lost, there's a period of nine months, six to nine months, where the people who invested in that tranche um, did lose some money. But by and large, the people who invested before are still net positive. So the ICO companies made money. The investors, on average, made money. I'm not saying everybody, but uh, you know, on average, on average, they made money. How does that go if we're in an exchange Again, exchange of value versus creation of value. If or the mathematical way to describe that, the game theoretical way to describe that is uh, uh, zero-sum game, exchange, versus non-zero-sum game, creation of value. You got it, right? Yeah. And so what's happening in the crypto world is creation of value. Hmm. It's, the, it's, the, it's the goose that's laying the golden egg, right? The people have access to it now. So don't F it up, kids. <laughs> right, just just bring value back to it. Beautiful. Uh, well, thanks so much for your time. This was uh, amazing. It was really great to learn Thank from you. you and speak with you and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you. So as you heard from Mark, a really broad range of ideas and topics. I think we cover everything from aliens to Egyptian pyramids to the banking system uh, to the crypto movement. I think I enjoyed the part of with Mark about concepts of balance and how you can be balanced kind of like at the ends of a seesaw or in the center of a seesaw and some of the different outcomes that it has. It strikes me that one thing I pulled away uh, was that if you really want to make a change or uh, change the course of momentum in society or in some kind of larger level that you really have to be a strong counterweight uh, to just fight all the inertia that's going that other direction. I think that, uh, you know, his depth of understanding around the way just the banking system works with hypothecation is problematic and you know Mark sees that the root of actually where money is created is actually imbued into the power of uh, banks. Um, so I think there's instructive things to understand in order to try to change any system or improve it, not necessarily destroy it. Um, so again, thanks to Mark and thanks for listening.